Hallelujah. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. I give God praise and thanksgiving for being able to be with you this morning. I want to thank God for Amy and our message and for her hospitality and for Pastor Lindsay and Pastor Jesse and all of you for this wonderful invitation to come and to be amongst the people of God called Presbyterians. I bring you greetings from your mission agency. We are located in Louisville, Kentucky, and we are able to do mission all over this planet because of the generosity of Presbyterians just like you. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your gifts to shared mission. Thank you for when you collect the offering, we'll collect the one great hour of sharing in just a moment, and then later we'll do a Pentecost offering and a Peace and Global offering and a Christmas joy offering. We want you to know that all those offerings go towards mission in the world. And so on behalf of the 400 and so staff members, 120 uh, co-mission workers who are in 60 countries, I want to thank God for each one of you and for the ministry that you make happen, that we make happen together as Presbyterians. Thank you for your per capita that allows us to come and to connect and to be here. We come because you invite us. It's a part of the offering that we give to you. We are in service to you. So however we can be uh, partners in ministry, just reach out, and certainly I'm grateful. Pastor Lindsay shares on our board, the Presbyterian Mission Agency Board, I think this is her last year, um, that she has been such a wonderful asset. Uh, she preached powerfully at our board meeting in Baltimore, and we are just simply grateful to have her. And so thank you for sharing her uh, in uh, ministry with us. Won't you bow your heads now as we call upon the Lord in prayer? Gracious God, speak, for your servants listen. Speak a word that will bring new life. Illuminate your word to us so that spiritual information becomes fruit-bearing revelation. And we are changed. And may your word go forth with power. May it accomplish that for which it has been sent and prosper in the things for which you have purposed it. That as we leave this worship service today in this sanctuary and go out into the ordinary, we might reflect the one who we serve, even Jesus Christ. To him be glory and honor both now and forevermore. And the people of God said, Amen. So I uh, want to bring the gospel lesson from the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 31 to 46. Many of you know that we are seeking to be a Matthew 25 church, and I hope that I'll have an opportunity to share what that means with more of you after service, and I was grateful for the opportunity to share with some of you on yesterday. But I want you to listen closely now for the word of God to all of us as Jesus is speaking to his disciples and sharing about how it will be in the final days. And he says these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him 
and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to consider the subject with me this morning, seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus. Many years ago, my mother's late aunt gave a collection of jewelry to her five nieces on a first-come, first-served basis. And my mother was the last one to get to the jewelry box. And what was left didn't seem like much. A gold pin shaped like a bowl with little diamonds on it. My mother didn't even wear pins. Her sisters had passed it up, you know, left it. And my mother almost passed it up too, but something led her back to that piece of jewelry. She picked it up and she put it in her hands and she noticed it was a little bit lighter than she expected. And she then examined the backside and she noticed how meticulously set the diamonds were. So she decided to take it to a jeweler for examination. She learned it was real. A pure 14 karat gold pin with diamond chunks all around it. My mother wondered how she could have missed it. Her sisters wondered the same when they learned about the pin. <laughs> they had not seen what was in plain view. When did we see you, Jesus? Seldom do we hear Jesus declare eternal punishment upon a nation as he does in the 46th verse of Matthew 25. 
Now, I could understand if it were John the Baptist, known for his fire and brimstone preaching, or even James and John, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder because of their sharp tongue and their ability to tell people how to get to heaven quickly. But this is Jesus himself which causes me to lean into this sacred text to determine and to learn the lesson being offered in this eschatological end-time kingdom parable. You see, by now, the prominence Jesus places upon the kingdom is well documented in Matthew. Jesus' first recorded sermon is about the kingdom. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then over and over we hear Jesus telling stories about God's kingdom. The kingdom is this. The kingdom is that. It's like this. It's like that. For years, Bible students and biblical scholars have sought to understand just what the kingdom is. I like what Jim Marion, author of Putting on the Mind of Christ, says about it. He says the kingdom is a metaphor for a state of consciousness. It is not just a place you go to, but a place you come from. Kingdom principles are often counterintuitive and contrary to societal norms. They reflect God's perspective on things. Jesus says, if you want to live, die. If you want to be rich, sell all you have and give to the poor. If you want to be great, become a servant of all. If you wish to gain your life, let go. Stop living like this and allow God to save you. Jesus' use of parables to describe the kingdom principles is masterful. Research reveals that stories, whether real or imagined, help people to encompass holistic perspectives, link theory to practice, stimulate listeners' critical thinking skills, encourage self-review, construct new knowledge. The late biblical scholar Joachim Jeremiah says, Jesus' parables are meant to challenge, and if we stick with them, change those who listen to them. And since no one likes to be changed but a wet baby, and even they'll often cry, parables were Jesus' way to create change in the hearts and minds of listeners, sometimes subversively. So what is Jesus seeking to change in our minds and our hearts as we listen to this parable? Many of you know that I, before coming to serve in this position, I served as senior pastor of the St. James Presbyterian Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. And in February of 2017, my husband and I attended the Greensboro International Civil Rights Museum annual fundraising gala. And each year at the gala, they present awards for those who demonstrate commitment to the cause of civil rights. And that year, Diane Nash was among the recipients. I listened to this freedom fighter talk about her experiences in the fight for civil rights. Those who marched by and large were people of faith, trained in nonviolent techniques. She barely spoke above a whisper. And she talked about how scared the students and leaders would sometimes get. She talked about the water hoses and the dogs and the violence and the vicious murders of some students in the movement. 
And she said, when fear would rise, she said, the leaders of the movement reminded each other and the students that they were doing something important, something meaningful. You see, they felt the pain of those who were yearning to be free. They could see those hungry for the fruit of liberation, those thirsty for the water of justice, those longing for the cloak of righteousness, those seeking the covering of welcome, those yearning for the balm that heals the brokenhearted and the sin-sick soul, those panting after the spirit who frees the captive. Nash reminded everyone that they were preparing for generations beyond them to live free in this country. And then she looked into the eyes of the audience and she said with such love in her countenance, I want you to know that we loved you before we ever met you. When did we see you, Jesus? This is the question asked by both sheep and goats in our scripture today. And I cannot help but notice that both the sheep and the goats are surprised in Jesus' story. They do not recognize Jesus in the face of the impoverished, the marginalized and stigmatized, those who are set aside because of their condition, color, or creed. Yet these least of these are the most beloved to Jesus. And while some would adopt patronizing attitudes, thinking, oh, the least of these, these poor and pitiful people, the reality is that those who mistreat them by withholding resources from them are the ones who are most poor and pitiful. After all, the judgment of God is not upon the least of these in this parable, but the goats who represent the nations who receive eternal punishment because they do not respond to the needs of the least of these. And while it's hard for me to wrap my mind around God's eternal punishment in this story, Jesus' warning would be followers that he is with the least of these and those folk people may least expect him to be with. Jesus is calling us to correct ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Because if we tell the truth and shame the devil, most of us will admit there's a little goat in all of us, though we want to align with the sheep in this parable. Well, my friends, the PCUSA's desire is to align with the sheep. And that is why back in 2016, the 222nd General Assembly called for our church to be a Matthew 25 church. I just didn't get the memo. This connectional church has to work on connection and communication. Nonetheless, the 223rd General Assembly in 2018, when I was elected, continued to emphasize this call to be a Matthew 25 church. And I've adopted it along with the leaders of the Presbyterian Mission Agency, and we are seeking to embed it within our denomination so that everyone will know that Matthew 25 is the biblical and theological basis for the Presbyterian Mission Agency's tri-fold focus, which is to build vital congregations, eradicate systemic poverty, and dismantle structural racism. The Matthew 25 scripture read today is appropriate for our denomination's tri-fold emphasis 
That emphasis is developed as we listen to the overtures that come to the General Assembly and as we talk with Presbytery execs and congregations. And these are the things that are on the mind of our church. Matthew 25 addresses these emphases. It addresses the issue of poverty and judging nations who create systems that alleviate the needs of the poor or ignore them. Though the issue of racism did not exist in the first century as it does today, the principle of how one deals with people who are marginalized for whatever reason can be seen in this sacred text. Finally, the importance of congregational vitality can be inferred in Matthew 25 since faith is nurtured and grows in the context of the community from which followers of Jesus learn to practice what we preach, seeking justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And so by declaring ourselves to be a Matthew 25 church, Presbyterians underscore our belief that followers of Jesus are saved to serve, called to actively engage the world, to respond to the least of these, to share the good news of the gospel, not just for the sweet by and by, but the nasty here and now. Jesus calls the sheep who act with compassion towards the least in this story righteous. And that word righteous joins mercy and justice in a way reminiscent of the Hebrew term sekata. In other words, those who are righteous perform acts of mercy and justice towards the least of these. From Matthew's gospel, we learn that justice and Jesus go together like greens and cornbread, mashed potatoes and gravy, ah, turkey and stuffing. You can have one without the other, but it's just not as good. In other words, believers are called to act with compassion towards others and to do the justice work that transforms unjust systems. We often concentrate on the individual. But I have heard it said that if one fish washes up on the shore, you say, what's wrong with that fish? But if a school of fish wash up on the shore, you ask, what's wrong with the water? Clean up the water so the fish can swim free. Poverty, racism, it's not just an individual thing. It's a systemic thing. When did we see you, Lord? During the 2018 General Assembly in St. Louis, something unique happened. Led by our stated clerk, the Reverend Dr. J. Herbert Nelson II, the assembly left the assembly hall and exchanged our church work for the work of the church. We marched through the streets of St. Louis protesting cash bail, which essentially criminalizes the poor. Having vetted an agency in St. Louis that pays the bail for persons who cannot afford the bond and who have committed nonviolent crimes, the PCUSA churches donated $47,000 to set the captive free. Our march in the streets of St. Louis called attention to the unjust and unfair practice of cash bail. This nonviolent disruption of business as usual was the best form of evangelism the Presbyterian Church could have made. People wanted to know who are you? What church do you come from? How can we get in touch with you? Because we were scratching where they were itching.
and placing a balm on the wound that needed the healing. A relevant witness and a right now testimony. When did we see you, Jesus? Both the sheep and the goats do not recognize Jesus, but something happens to the sheep. Professor Geddes Hansen, who taught at Princeton Seminary in the area of practical theology, where I went to school, and he would occasionally come to San Francisco Theological Seminary, and he once shared a story in class about a student who, before the internet was launched and social media was intact, they would get up early in the morning and go to the library to keep herself informed about her subject matter. She would read and she would study and she would write down her thoughts and no one was, was publishing her. No one uh, said she had to do what she was doing because you see, before she received her PhD, she was clear about who she was. She understood herself to be a scholar. And then Dr. Hansen made this statement, and I shall never forget it. He said, people have a tendency to do those things that actualize our self-understanding. Something moves the sheep in Jesus' story to help those in need. The Greek call it the pneuma. The Hebrew call it the ruach. My grandmama said it was the Holy Ghost. Presbyterians say it is the Holy Spirit, but whatever you want to call her, God's Spirit has a way of bringing clarity to our identity, seeping down and penetrating and saturating people of God, changing us from the inside out, regenerating us so that we become authentic followers of Christ who display his character and charisma. As we are touched by him through the power of the Holy Spirit, our very nature is transformed. It becomes a part of who we are to be compassionate towards others and to work for justice. We actualize our self-understanding because though we are born with a set of physiological genes, when God touches us, we become regenerated. The call to respond to the least of these becomes clear to us. Jesus is not advocating salvation by works in this story. Neither can we check off the boxes and earn a bonus with God. But why we do not earn our way to God by our works, the work that God does in us moves us to work on behalf of others not for show or for glow or to be seen or esteemed, not to be celebrated and elevated by people, but out of the compassion and the love and the mercy which Christ has shown for each of us. When my mother took a second look, she discovered something about the golden pen in her hand. And might this Matthew 25 scripture be inviting us to do the same today? To examine closely and look again at what is in our hand to see Jesus and be committed to sharing his love and justice with the least of these. My friends, the brokenness of this world is before us. 
The rise of racism is being stirred up by the present posture and administration in Washington, and it is documented by the Southern Poverty Center. People on our planet suffer from poverty and hunger and malnutrition, poorly built shacks, big bellies, bulging eyes, and a starving humanity testifies to the greed created by systems that are indifferent to human suffering. And at the same time, declining budgets and church attendance and dilapidated buildings have too many churches concerned with saving the institution rather than building a movement that saves the community. While the problems are great, we have something great in our hands. Something more precious than silver, more valuable than gold, more beautiful than diamonds is in our hands. We have a caring, compassionate, miracle-making, dying man-saving, people-raising, sight-giving, water-walking, justice-seeking, mercy-reaching, grace-giving, preacher, teacher, healer, helper, prophet, and son of God who is with us, seeking to do a work in us so that we may do a work with others. When did we see you, Jesus? When you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. Amen.